Well, I want to do things just a little bit differently this morning. We're going to be looking at three different places in the Bible. And so rather than read all of those up front, I want to read them as we go through the message. So let me start this morning with prayer. Uh, Father, we need you to be our teacher. We look to you. You are the one who has given us your word. And it is through your spirit that we understand your word and how it applies to our lives. And so speak to us, we pray. We need you to be our teacher. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to to those of you who are uh, newer members or visitors with us who may not know a lot about the history of our church. About 10 years ago, the previous senior pastor, Shelton Sanford, and I were in conversation about the possibility of me transitioning from Covenant Seminary to Westminster. And one of the reasons for that was Shelton, if you knew him, was extraordinarily gifted and had a huge heart, still does, for global missions. And under his leadership, our church uh, began to be deeply involved in the global mission effort of God's people. And we still are. But Shelton felt like we needed to get much more involved locally. And he knew that uh, my previous church... Uh, had done that. We had gotten very involved in the local community while still maintaining a significant global presence. And so we made the transition. And one of the things that has happened in the last few years is that God's people in this congregation have gotten deeply involved in this community. I mean, there's a real honest heart love for Rock Hill and York County. And you saw a wonderful example of that just a moment ago in in the video. And we owe that truly, humanly speaking, to the members of this congregation who have really seen what Scripture says and have gone after it in wonderful ways. But this is what I want to talk to us about today. Here's an area that I feel like, uh, and I mean this from top down, that we are still uh, not clicking on all cylinders, if I can put it that way. If we're, uh, if I can say, maybe a bit weakened, and that is that uh, we haven't really begun to seriously take on the calling of each follower of Jesus Christ to be a missionary in his own setting. Uh, look, it, it, uh, that sounds weird, I think, to think of ourselves as missionaries because we think of missionaries as those whom we send overseas. And yes, they're missionaries. But the scripture is, is clear. If you are a follower of Christ, you are called by Christ to be a missionary. You may know the ministry ligonier that R.C. Sproul started a number of years ago. Well, They were interviewing Sinclair Ferguson, a wonderful reformed theologian, and they asked him the question, are all Christians to be missionaries? And he very simply said, well, yes. I mean, to be a missionary simply means to be sent. All of us as followers of Christ are drawn into Christ and then sent out by Christ to witness to Christ. In other words, wherever Christ places you, there he has sent you with the gospel. And so, bottom line is this. We've got to learn what it means to be a missionary in our own setting. And not just learn. We've got to take on the calling God has placed on our lives. It is not just a calling. It is a command. God says you are a missionary. So, I want to look this morning at one way to think about what it means to be a missionary in our setting. 
And I want to do that in three points. Here they are. First, it means to go home. Second, it means to throw a party. Third, it means to take advantage of every opportunity. Make the best of every opportunity. So let's start with the first point, which is to go home. Now, earlier you heard Rusty Darby read from Mark chapter 5. Wonderful story of God transforming a man who was possessed. And what I want to do this morning is not focus on demon possession, though we could do that. It is a real thing. But what I want to do this morning is focus on what Jesus said to him at the very end after he had healed him. And we see that in Mark 5, beginning in verse 18. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. In other words, he wanted to go with him. He wanted to serve with him wherever Jesus went. But, in verse 19, and Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. All right, go home. That's what he said to this man. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. See, most of the time, Jesus doesn't send us overseas. That is a special calling. And I'm not going to say a higher calling. It is a unique calling for some that God has equipped to go overseas, to be invested in a culture radically different from his or her own. But most of the time, Jesus doesn't send us overseas. He sends us home. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you home to your friends to the people you care about, to the people you work with, to the friends at school, to the people in your neighborhood, to the people that you rub shoulders with, shoulders with every single day or many days a week. Here's the point. There's a wonderful book called The Insider that was written a number of years ago by Jim Peterson. And I read it probably about 15 years ago. And it gave me such a wonderful, just kind of simple paradigm to think about what it means to be a missionary in our own setting, in the places where God has put us, where he has sent us. The, the gist of it is this. There are people that we are insiders with, that we have relationship with. And it is with those people that we are to be salt and light. We live among them as insiders, friends, family. We have relationships built already with them. I mean, here's this point. There are people you know well because you've lived across the street from them for years or you've worked with them or gone to school with them or, or cheered with them on the bleachers as you watched your children. And it is... To us as insiders with these folks, that Jesus says, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. 
there's so many different ways to do this. And, and uh, the beauty is God wants you to use your own personality, the way he has wired you to do this. But I want to share uh, one of the ways that a good friend of mine has, has done this. It was in our last church that we served. And he started a, a monthly gathering for men to have dinner. And we called it Pig Fest. It was called Pig Fest because we pigged out on food and we pigged out on conversation. It was a wonderful evening, but it was a very intentional evening. And here was the purpose. Each of us who was a follower of Christ was to invite a friend, a neighbor, someone we worked with, someone we, we knew, who we didn't really think had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It might be somebody who was in a different religion altogether. It might be someone who claimed no religion. But what we then did was, whether you were a Christian or a friend brought by a Christian who probably was not a Christian, each one of us was required to bring what we called a truth statement that we had to be able to defend. And so it might be something from culture or politics or theology or history or economics. But one statement you had to bring that you had to be able to defend. Now, if you know me, you'll understand why I brought this one one night. Here was my truth statement. George Harrison of the Beatles once said, really profound, huh? <clears throat> once said, we made our money and fame, but for me that wasn't it. It was good fun for a while, but it certainly wasn't the answer to what life is about. The only worthwhile pursuit is the search for the answers to the questions, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? So here was my proposition. Whether George Harrison ever answered those questions or not, his basic sentiment was right on the money. Now, so, and then you would have to defend that. And, and the beauty of the evening was not only was it great food. I mean, we really enjoyed a good meal. But it was very lively conversation. It was very respectful. Every time uh, we set the table by saying, this is going to be respectful but fun conversation. And, and the beauty of it was, as a follower of Christ, it wasn't intimidating to share my understanding of the world or my understanding of life because all of us came prepared to speak from our own perspective. And, and so that's what we did. We shared our worldview. And, and let me just say, it was a delightful evening once a month. I looked forward to it as much as anything I've ever done because we had all kinds of opinions sitting around the table, about 20 of us. Uh, the evening would go on for about two hours. And uh, at the end, then, the man who kind of established this would sum up the conversation. But God was present. And, and I, I wish you could have been there to hear uh, uh, men from all different walks being able to speak into a group of about 20 men their own understanding of life as they saw it through the eyes of Christ. And, and, and men were affected by it. I remember especially an older Jewish man who uh, had gone through a lot of significant trials in his life. I remember him being drawn to Christ because of the beauty of, the, uh, of not only the Christian worldview that he heard around the table, but of the community that he saw lived out as we respected each other, as we, as we shared our lives from very different perspectives at times. Now, uh, you know, there are a couple of men in our congregation that do something like this. 
uh, where they'll bring about eight to ten men together, have a really nice meal, and at some point uh, they'll turn the conversation to something about Christ. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful kind of delightful evening where uh, believers and unbelievers can sit at the tame, same table but hear something about Christ. Look, you don't have to do that at all. That may not suit you in any way. But the point is, is this. God has called us to be folks who understand that we are insiders. You have friends, you have colleagues, you have classmates, you have neighbors that you know. And it's to those people that God says, go, I am sending you there. Uh, the, the beauty of it is you don't have to force conversations with people that you barely know. You simply have to uh, love well uh, the people that you do know. It is to them that Christ says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So go home. That's the first point. Uh, most of us, most of us will stay right here in the United States. Praise God for the people that, uh, that he sends to other lands. But most of us are right here. And, and Jesus says that calling is just as important as the a calling to go overseas. You are a missionary just as much as they are. First point, go home. Second point, throw a party. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he healed a man who was paralyzed. And then in Luke chapter 5, we read these words about Jesus. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, what do, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Look, there's something that almost always happens when someone becomes a new believer in Christ. And it's something, quite frankly, that kind of cuts off the, the pathway to, to the gospel. It gets in the way of the gospel being shared with, with the world. Sooner or later, new believers will eventually leave their old friends, their old pagan, if I can put that in quotation marks, their old pagan friends behind because it's so much more comfortable as they grow in their faith to be around their new Christian friends. But when they do that, they lose their insider status. And the open pathway for the gospel is cut off. And so it's really important to look at what Levi or Matthew, as we typically call him, does here. He throws a party and he invites Jesus. And you need to understand, uh, Levi's friends were not good people. I mean, they're called here tax collectors and sinners, but that probably doesn't really help you. They were notoriously sinful. These, these were not everyday sinners. These were people who were known in the community and often hated in the community because of their sin. And it's why you see the religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes, criticize Jesus for even spending any time with them. 
But Levi didn't give up on his friends. He gathered them together that they might be exposed to the same Christ that he had gotten to know. The point here that I'm trying to make is not really that you have to throw a party. Uh, The point is that you have to continue to be faithful and loving to your old friends. Don't give up. Don't leave your non-Christian friends behind. And of course, don't go back to living like them. Live as a new person in Christ before them. But here, again, this is the point. No matter how long you have walked with Jesus Christ, love your lost friends really, really well. Jesus had a reputation for being good friends with very lost people. You know, when you think about it, how else could he have reached them? Don't give up on your lost friends. They need your friendship and they need your Savior just like you do. As I was reflecting on that over the last, really, gosh, the last 24 hours, I remembered something that I had forgotten from many, many years ago. And and I'll put it this way, and then I'll kind of take quickly the story. But in part, I owe my salvation to a friend who didn't give up on me. And and I'll tell you very quickly uh, the the story. But uh, I grew up in Charlotte. My neighbor, a couple houses down, I used to play golf with his dad, my friend's dad. And my friend's dad was a rough character, and uh, we played at the worst place in Charlotte. I mean, it fit. I'm just, I'll put it that way. I'm not even going to describe anything else. But rough father and a rough son. My, my friend was a, was a rough guy. And uh, uh, he went off to college, went to Furman, and he came back uh, not long afterwards, and I could tell that he was not the same person who left Charlotte to go to college. There was all of a sudden a seriousness about his life. There was a kind of a weightiness about his life that I'd never seen before. And uh, he took me out to play tennis one day. And, and somewhere during the break, we just stopped. And he very naturally just said, Mike, I want to tell you. <clears throat> I'm no longer the person I used to be. And he shared Christ with me. He said, this is what the Lord has done for me. And it was just very natural. It wasn't a forced conversation. It was just a friend who had not given up on me a couple years younger and wanted to share Christ with me. And I'll tell you, it was a short conversation. It's very clear. I've never fully forgotten that conversation. Um, I didn't come to Christ that day. Uh, But it it kind of uh, planted a seed in me. And not long afterwards, I did come to know Christ. And as I look back on that, you know, I I wish I could go back and thank him for that conversation. But I cannot because not long afterwards, he died in a climbing accident. But this is what I, I do know. I really believe that our rewards in heaven are largely the people that we have encouraged toward Christ. And I can't wait to thank him for doing that for me. Don't give up on your lost friends. They need your friendship and they need the same Savior that you and I need. So go home throw a party. Don't give up on your lost friends. Last point I want to make this morning is this. Make the most of every opportunity. And we see that in Colossians 
chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, where Paul commands us to be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Now, outsiders here meaning unbelievers in this instance. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, if you came to Christ in the 70s, as I did in college, you learned to share your faith right away, and you started sharing Christ with everyone you came in contact with, people you knew, people you didn't know. And uh, let me just say, uh, it was awkward at times, and I remember at times being very terrible at it. I mean, I was awful. And uh, the worst example of it was when um, I uh, was home for the summer, first summer back, uh, just become a Christian, and I decided to go to UNCC and just walk on the campus one afternoon and share my faith, my newfound faith, with anybody who would talk to me. First person I talked to, I kind of stumbled over it, was kind of apologetic and did not do a good job. And finally, the guy took pity on me. And, and, and he said this, I think, you, I think it would really help you if you would go speak to my father-in-law. He could really help you with this. His father-in-law is Leighton Ford, <laughs> who happens to be Billy Graham's brother-in-law, and if you know anything about Leighton Ford, was a significant evangelist on the global uh, spectrum for many, many years. Well, I, I finally got a chance about three years ago to sit down and have breakfast with Leighton Ford. He was very gracious just to meet a stranger, and I shared with him that story, and of course, he got a kick out of it as, as I did. But the point that I really want to make is, is this. I think over time, sharing our faith becomes more natural. And instead of making, if I can call them, cold calls, you begin just taking advantage of the opportunities that God presents us with. And, and uh, I remember, as a, again, a young Christian, but now growing in my faith, I, I began to take advantage of insider opportunities in my own fraternity. And uh, I've shared this with some of you before, so forgive me, but I've got to tell this story. Um, my, uh, a good friend of mine was named Alan, and Alan was a, a state champion weightlifter. And uh, for some dumb reason, one night, uh, all 150 pounds of me decided to uh, pick a fight with him. Not a real fight, but just kind of pick a fight, have fun with him. And, and so I started kind of picking at him. Now, again, he's a state champion weightlifter. I'm weighing about 150 pounds. And uh, so at some point, he just decides he's going to chase me and, and, and tackle me. And so I'm running. And this is a three-story fraternity house. I'm running all through the fraternity house. I get to the third floor where my bedroom is, thinking that I've lost him. I hadn't. Of course, he comes flying into my room. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's over. I'm just jump on my bed and hopefully he'll go away. Well, he didn't. Instead, he takes, I'm on my bed. He takes my whole bed up, flips it over on top of me. And so now I'm lying underneath the bed. And then he takes my mattress and throws it out my third floor window. Well, that's not the end of the story. You know, I picked one fight that night. Why not pick another? Now, my friend, Alan, and he would tell you this, he had the worst language. He cussed all the time. And so, as I'm lying there on the floor, trying to pick myself up, I just say, Alan, why do you cuss so much? And that led into about a three-hour conversation that ended probably about 2 o'clock in the morning when uh, Alan 
literally got on his knees and uh, gave his life to Christ. It was just an opportunity that an insider had. We were friends, and, and God gave me the sense, the wisdom, the, maybe the oomph to take advantage of it. There are so many opportunities that we have if we just have eyes to see them. Our Savior left his home that he might come and make us friends. And then he tells us now to go home to our friends and tell them what Christ has done for us. You are an insider. You have friends and neighbors and colleagues and classmates. Pray for them. Pray for opportunities to speak to them. And then when the opportunity presents itself, and it will, God will give you opportunities, then just speak very humbly, very lovingly, very winsomely, but just speak. And, and while it's wonderful to have a really good understanding of how to kind of lead someone through the, the truths of Scripture that can lead someone to salvation in Christ, if you don't have that, don't worry about that. What did Jesus say to this man who had just been cured of being possessed by a demon? He just said, go home and tell them what I've done for you. All of us can do that. Just tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And you know, the wonderful thing is, it's not up to us who actually embraces the good news. The good news to us as we think about it, as we go out, is that God will open hearts. He will save. And he will use us. You are a missionary. And your mission's work is just as vital as the missions work overseas. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we, we uh, are so easily distracted by so many things, and it's very hard, I think, to, to remember you've called us to be missionaries. But Lord, help us to be that. Help us truly to take on the calling that you have placed on our lives and to understand the significance of it, understand the, the reality that, that you have, in, in a sense, put in our hands and in our mouth the words of life that, that lead people out of darkness and into light. Would you use us richly, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.